This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on water and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. Best and brightest, we say Excelsior this time of day. To each other. Excelsior is a Latin word meaning ever upward. Also, a, a slogan, an axiom, uh, a punctuation of general excellence. When my family came home on Saturday afternoon, they found me, coincidentally, given the timing, uh, they found me weeping like a baby, which I really wouldn't have expected, though doesn't greatly surprise me. But we can both count, I think, on on a hand, on the fingers of a hand, the number of people outside our immediate families, especially who are in public life, who engender that kind of emotion in us. Whether or not I'm foolish, it will not surprise you to learn that the death of a Supreme Court justice, especially the one whom I followed pretty religiously and believed in since before the days he was confirmed, but for 30 years, this was... My beacon on the tower that counts the most in our country. Even more than the presidency. Ironically, we don't talk a lot about the Supreme Court here, but we we sure talk a, a good deal about it. I think more than most other shows. And we talk a lot about not particular laws, but we talk a lot about law and what it means to all of us, whether or not we always realize what it means to us in our country, in our families. The New York Times, who can be, in this case at least, reliably called upon to render something appropriate, read this way on Sunday morning. Justice Antonin Scalia, the voice of conservative renaissance in three decades on the United States Supreme Court, 
whose transformative legal theories, vivid writing, and outsized personality made him a leader of conservative intellectual renaissance in his 30 years on the Supreme Court. Died yesterday. Quote, he was an extraordinarily individual and jurist, admired and treasured by his colleagues. By the way, both of his best friends on the court were two of its most liberal. The most liberal voice on the court, Buzzy Ginsburg, is, uh, was uh, Nino Scalia's closest friend. They went to opera together, their families vacationed together, dined together regularly. Now, you know, like once a year or something. They were like best buds. They, they come from a time, and he comes from a place, in which you don't dislike people because you do not agree with them 100% on something. If their hearts are good and their minds are sound, they're worthy of your time and your respect. Uh, a federal judge, prominent federal judge writing in uh, about five years ago in a magazine article said, Justice Scalia is the most influential justice in the last quarter century. Many would argue, many who are qualified to argue, and I am, you know, and so maybe are you. One doesn't need to be an attorney nor a judge in order to know law or to follow law or understand law. Indeed, it is the best of our law that does not require being a judge to understand it. And I understood at once what Antonin Scalia represented to those of us who would never read one of his decisions or one of his famous, stinging, beautiful, intellectually singeing dissents. But I knew what it meant to be an originalist, to be a textualist, and many of us found out whether or not we were acquainted with those terms in the coming years. The guy who gave a common man's reading, the most uncommon of men, Antonin Scalia, gave the most common, in a way, of reading to law based on what it ought to mean to we whom it governs and we who drafted it and what it was supposed to mean by those who drafted it, not what it might mean in a perfect world. In a, in a, in a world of people who regard themselves as expensive, cufflinked, handmade suit, uh, odd beards, elite social circles, you know, the, the, the uppermost reaches of the law and academia in our country, Nino Scalia was in many ways a lunch pail jurist. His interpretation of the law was a product of what the drafters meant.
what your representatives, you the boss, what did you mean when you told your congressman, you know, when you told your legislators, when you made the law, what did you mean? He spent his life doing that, and he turned what had been the back alleys of the law, the cheap man's law, the law that the academics laughed down their noses at. Because for 75 years, it was fashionable in this country to turn the law into something that was automatically liberal, automatically progressive, thus automatically damaging to the people it was supposed to serve. It was very fashionable to render interpretations of the law that were mockeries of its intention, to turn it very simply on its head, to come up with the most ridiculous interpretations of law and say, oh no, really, really, this is what it ought to mean. Even if the Founding Fathers, if they were alive, would have unanimously said, no, that's not what it means. Even if Americans, as voters, as citizens, would unanimously say, oh, no, that's not, that's not, what, we, that's not what we want it to mean. That's not what we thought it, mean, uh, what it meant. Scalia was unashamed to be a genius who brought the simple, contextual, originalist understanding of the Constitution to the forefront, back to the people. Uh, He was a great hero of mine and a great man. And he was a great hero to many people who will never meet him. Which brings us to this. And uh, Britt, I'm aware of the time. I'll break uh, after these couple of paragraphs. Battle begins over naming next justice. When I stopped weeping long enough, I tweeted this out on Saturday evening. You can look it up. I sent out several tweets having to do with the nature and magnitude of the battle that was about to ensue. Because this is it. This is it, babies. This is it. As, as, I, will, as I will share with you in a moment... You know, presidents, senators, congressmen come and go. Elections come and go. The thing that remains the longest and the most is the United States Supreme Court and the decisions they make. Peter Baker, New York Times, the death of Justice Antonin Scalia immediately set off a partisan battle over a vacancy that could perhaps reshape the Supreme Court and our country for years to come. As Senate Republicans called on President Obama to let his successor fill the seat. Within hours of Justice Scalia's death, both sides began laying the groundwork for what could be a titanic confirmation struggle fueled by ideological interest groups. The surprise opening also jolted the presidential campaign and could shift the, cons- the conservation toward the priorities each candidate would have in making such a selection. Mr. Obama should he do so, would be the first president since Ronald Reagan to fill three seats on the court. What we ought to do about this, what we will probably do about this, 
what the Republicans and Democrats have already announced they are doing, what the candidates ought to do, what the candidates have instead already chosen to do, and the reason that you ought to care are all ahead today. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. The Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, my partners. Our number, your office number, one 888 here on the Blaze Radio Network. one 888 I have a few things to say about this. Today I will also, of course, follow up. We had two special shows, as I know many of you know, and thank you for being with us, with Scott, uh, with Doc, Skip, and I and Ty on Saturday night. We said a lot of what we had to say then. That doesn't mean it doesn't need re-saying and uh, reformation, uh, and it will, and we will get to that today. We'll be talking all week about what Saturday night meant and didn't mean and how this race in South Carolina is going and whether or not Donald Trump is truly unhinged. Uh I don't think that's maybe the most likely explanation, but I think there's a possibility now that Donald Trump is is unhinged. Unhinged. Off the hook. Okay. The United States Supreme Court. I'm not going to give you a history. We lost a judge you may not have known about or cared about, and no regular, normal person can be expected who does not make their trade in the academy of law to care that much uh, about or know that much about all nine United States Supreme Court justices. I just want you to know that if you trust me at all on such matters, this was a man you would have loved and admired He was important to our view of our nation. He was confirmed 98 to nothing. Bear in mind when you hear what a monster he is, 
coming out of the mouths of progressives in the next few days, few weeks. Remember that Judge Scalia was confirmed by a Democrat Senate, 98 to nothing. Uh, Presidents, this is from an article I wrote in 1992, I believe, for Hamptons Magazine. Uh, It's something like an approximation of the first paragraph or two. Presidents, and I said it last, just ironically, I said it last week again. Presidents come and go. Never mind congressmen and senators and committees and administrations. Presidents, even great ones, come and go. Their agendas are buffeted and redefined and often smothered by the caprice of public opinion, uh, the, uh, an unruly Congress, an uncooperative political party on the other side, or maybe their own. Or maybe even we, the voters, have something to do with placing a bit of a, a brake you know, on the gas pedal when a new president is elected and wants to do everything, 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 you know, right away, right away, right away. Presidents, even presidents, come and go rarely, rarely, no matter what their last name, rarely do they get to fulfill their full agendas. Rarely do they, some cases, Lincoln, but rarely do they get to see their agendas fulfilled and transform the country well beyond their passage from office, and then their passage from this mortal coil, i.e. their deaths. Members of the Supreme Court are different. They come and go, but they come and go on average once every 30 years, sometimes 50. They cannot be fired. They cannot be unelected because they are not elected. Their legacy is the most powerful of anyone and anything we so empower in our constitutional republic, for they are the bearers of the flame of the Constitution. They decide at any given moment. You can have months of hearings on pick any subject you like, but the moment that matters most is when the gavel comes down in the United States Supreme Court And abortion that was illegal yesterday is legal today. School busing that was illegal yesterday is legal today. Affirmative action that was illegal yesterday is the law of the land today. Or the other way around. Usually for generations, sometimes for hundreds of years at a time, the Supreme Court is where the action is. And that's why... The people in both parties who really pay attention, and most among them the politicians, are paying keener attention to this than anything else you can imagine. Now, this is the first time a United States Supreme Court vacancy has occurred during a United States presidential election, according to at least one national report. 
It is going to do a couple of things. It will immediately separate out the wishy-washy from those who actually believe something. Because one of the first questions which is already forming and has already once or twice been asked is, who would you, give us a name or two of the kind of judge you would suggest to replace Judge Scalia, Justice Scalia. And the moment you utter someone's name, the record of that person tells all of America whether or not you are progressive or not. It certainly instantly tells conservatives whether you are a fellow conservative. And you no longer have to fool around with labels like conservative. You can merely ask, what are your standards for the court? Would you vote to appoint someone who is willing to take away the right to own a gun? Would you vote for someone who is in favor of partial birth abortion? These are the kinds of questions that are on the tips of the tongues of the people who ask them for a living. It is going to cause us, during a political campaign, to focus. We already were. Because of Trump, I hate to admit it, and other reasons, we were already more of us focusing more on more issues more carefully than any time in my lifetime and maybe yours in a presidential campaign. This vacancy on the United States Supreme Court is going to create that on steroids starting now. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, this is Jay Severin, and uh, I know that I've got partners on the phone. I've got a, a very senior partner on the phone. I cannot interrupt this monologue because I have everything I need to say about the Supreme Court I'm going to say in the next several moments. And then when I'm finished with that, I'll have finished my notes on it. And <clears throat> if you can hang, please hang. If you can't, you know, hang up and and give it 10 minutes and call back. But uh, I know you're there and, you know, I respect that you're there and don't like to leave anyone hanging. But I must finish this. You know that all, virtually every important Supreme Court case in our lifetimes certainly in the last 20 years, has been a product of a five to four decision by the Supreme Court. The shift of one seat, pardon me, at this moment in history would be so profound that what you are talking about here is the right, well, it's the Bill of Rights. It's the right to own a gun. They're ready. The forces of evil in our country are ready to overturn the Bill of Rights, at least in parts. 
Are you ready to say goodbye to the right to own and bear arms? A five to four Obama Supreme Court. It's gone. Abortion, free speech, racial preference, war and peace. Whether we put in jail our own military heroes for questioning Al-Qaeda. They they are too numerous and too profound to list, but they are what's at stake. Now, here comes the politics. So far, Republicans and Democrats, so far, partisans on both sides have done exactly what you'd expect them to do. And I don't eliminate anybody here. No one that I know of yet gets a pass. Even the guy I endorse for president and have supported for years, Ted Cruz, is on the wrong side of this as I see it. And you know what? I may be on the wrong side of this as you see it. But I know whose side I have been on, and I know on whose side I am, and I know on whose side I shall remain. And I can honestly say in my lifetime, since I've known the difference, that is the company I have chosen to keep. I am loyal to no man. I am loyal to the Constitution of the United States, as I hope you are. I am loyal to men so long as they are loyal to the Constitution of the United States. And whensoever it may occur that they are disloyal to it, I am no longer loyal to them. I am a constitutionalist. Since I've known what it meant, I've known what I was. Now, both parties have done, shamefully, what we could expect them to do. The Democrats have made it into as partisan a matter as they could uh, before Justice Scalia's body is cold. The Republicans have done the same. But there are two arguments. The Democrat argument Obama ought to proceed without any delay in immediately proposing a replacement for Justice Scalia and insist that that be given a hearing and a vote, that that should happen right now without any undue or illegitimate delay, that is to say. The Republicans including every Republican candidate for president that I know of, tell me if I'm wrong, every Republican I have heard, every partisan of the right I have heard, has, and again in my view, shamefully said, no, this president must not be allowed to name the next Supreme Court justice. The next president of the United States must do that, not this one. In fact, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader of the United States Senate, God help us, said, well, the American people ought to decide this. 
We did. We had an election in 2014 to determine the makeup of the United States Senate. And we were too stupid to get rid of you, Senator McConnell, and get Mitch Bevin in there instead, mirrored times 50 around the country in various elections. We've got the Congress. We've got. Anyway, McConnell and all the Republicans and all the Republican candidates say, no, no, it should be the choice of the next president. I know how enticing to your ears and your mind that sounds. I know how horrible the alternative can be. Who has been saying, with probably too much repetition in the last few years, that Michelle Obama could be named to the court? Hillary Clinton could be named to the court. Bill Clinton could be named to the court. People worse than that whose names we don't know could be named to the court. This could accelerate the road to doom for our country, and I'm not kidding, if the wrong person, i.e. a progressive, is put on the court. That's what both parties are saying we ought to do. And you could have and probably did predict that's what they'd say. Here's the shame I feel. The Republicans are wrong and the Democrats are right. It makes me sick to my stomach to say it, but it would make me, no, no, it makes me uncomfortable and disappointed to have to say it, but it would make me sick to my stomach to say other than the truth. And the truth is that very thing we revere or claim to, the Constitution of the United States, gives to the President of the United States the constitutional, not only the power, but the obligation when a vacancy on the court occurs to start, to initiate the process of replacement that starts by the President naming, nominating someone. And you know what? That's the right position. That's the constitutional position. I don't want Obama naming the next justice to the Supreme Court like I don't want nuclear war. Like I don't want sickness in my family or yours. But I don't want to look back and say that when push came to shove, I was as quick and awful a hypocrite as are the progressives, as are my enemies. If the shoe were on the other foot, they would do what McConnell's doing right now. And they did, and they do. And we have Chuck Schumer on tape saying we should, no more Bush appointments. I don't care, not till after the election. And the election was much farther away than it is now. And he was saying, no, no more, no more judges. Bush gets no more. That doesn't matter. The calls of hypocrisy will do nothing. What matters is veritas. What matters is the truth. What matters is the Constitution. And the constitutional point of view here, and it makes me, again, it makes me ill 
that the Democrats get to use that which they urinate on every day and ignore and twist and pervert, and they have undermined and they ruin and they mock, but they get to use it now as a shield and wink at each other behind that shield that was forged, paid for, with the blood and bodies of men and women who really did believe in the Constitution. But the constitutional position right now is not the position that says, no, no, the next president must name the next Supreme Court justice. However, all is not lost. Because whereas it is absolutely true that Obama has the right and the obligation to start that process with his pick now, and that he's going to do that, You know, he's going to do that. And it's going to be someone so far to the left and almost certainly a member of a minority group to try and give them bulletproof political status, make it impossible to vote against them without being called a racist or something else ist. Yeah, all of that nightmare is about to occur. But all is not lost because what I did say is that the constitutional process ought to unfold. What I did not say is that there's no way within the constitutional process to deny Obama that choice, which is what we ought to do, and I outline that next. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network, the vacancy of a United States Supreme Court justice during an American presidential campaign. So much to say, but the bottom line is it is going to bring into such ultra-sharp focus who we are, what we believe, what we call ourselves, what those words mean, how far progressives are willing to go to pervert the Constitution, and how far we who claim to be Constitution's defenders are willing to burn the village in order to save it. That's what I fear. When Ted Cruz, my guy, a constitutional scholar from Harvard, says, no, Obama should not make the replacement, it should be left to the next president. I hope he means the following. Obama has the right to name a replacement tonight. He had the right to name, in poor taste, a replacement five minutes after Justice Scalia passed. And what Republicans ought to be doing, what real, true conservatives ought to be doing, and if I were still advising the Republican Party and its elected members thereof, I would say to them, no, 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 you've just done the stupid thing. Don't do that. 
Do the smart thing, but do the constitutional thing. Guess what? They're the same thing. What we ought to be doing is saying to Obama et al., go ahead, send your man up. Send him up. Send her up. Do it. Go ahead. Send her up tonight. We ought to appear to be cooperating, and we ought to, in fact, cooperate within the boundaries of the law with the president's right to nominate. He has that right. So does our supposedly Republican Senate have the right to advise and consent to that appointment or to withhold advise and consent. So how do you get out of this constitutionally? You get out of this constitutionally by following the Constitution. Mr. President, send your guy up. You know, there's a reason why we have elections, Mr. McConnell. We had one in 2014. It gave us majorities in both the Senate and the House. So here's what ought to happen. Obama sends his pick to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Obama sends his pick to the House Judiciary Committee. That that nominee has to get out of both committees with at least a one-vote majority in order to get to the floor for a vote. Because of the way our government works, there is one more Republican on every single committee in Congress than there is a Democrat. So if you're chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, if you're chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, you take Obama's guy and you or girl and you uh, make sure you have very deliberate hearings. Make sure they're very, very deliberate. You don't want to rush anything. And then when they make them as deliberate as possible, you then have a party line vote 11 to 10 or 9 to 8. And you turn that nominee down and say, Obama, try someone else and we'll give you the same constitutional courtesy. Get it? The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Excelsior. Welcome back, best and brightest. We are the Blaze Radio Network in the form of the Jaily News. I'm Jay Severin, and um, I still mourn, but necessarily look ahead as we must, as he would want, to the politics, the pure politics of the replacement of Justice Antonin Scalia, as he would be the first to recognize this is pure politics 
but that's a phase we must go through in order to get to pure law, to get to pure constitution. And to summarize virtually everything I've said in the first hour, and I'll go right back to the phones, uh, and Maya, I'm sorry, uh, my rambling cost me your call, so I hope you will call back. Uh, But uh, there are partners on the phone, and let me offer my summary thusly. It is wrong. It is ethically wrong. It is morally wrong. It is intellectually dishonest. It is constitutionally dishonest. It is politically stupid to have done what the Republicans have already done. Now, whether they can take it back, probably. If you if you pivot your position now and start to say something else, it's probably not too late. It might be, but it's probably not. It is possible to simultaneously do the right thing, the constitutional thing, the correct thing, the moral thing, the legal thing, the American thing, and the politically smart thing. How many times... Do you get offered that deal? And all you have to do is say, Mr. President, you're right. Send her up. Send him up. Let's go. Send him up. Your man or woman will get a fair hearing in the Judiciary Committee in the House and in the Senate. And if they clear both of those committees <coughs> on which we just happen to have at least one extra vote than you. And we also have the prospective votes of Democrats who are up for re-election this fall. And if there are any Southern Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, and there are, the television commercials are already being cut by people like me about the person you put up and what it would mean to this country and how you're replacing Justice Scalia. And if you're a a member of the House or the Senate and you're up for re-election in seven months, and even if you're a Democrat, it's like trading places. You're making a career decision here. You're making a career decision with this vote. Is it really that Barack Obama is going to be gone in seven months? Is it really that important to you to please Barack Obama? Or would you like to have a prospect of continuing in the job you now hold? Send him up, Mr. President. Send her up. Your nominee will get a fair hearing in the House and the Senate committees. And if they should survive... And and if they don't, we should impeach every single Republican member of those committees. There's no way on God's earth that whomever Obama nominates should survive either of the Judiciary Committees. No way. That's out. That's where the Constitution works for us. No way. But if they do, they'll get a House vote. And a Senate vote. And if owning the House and the Senate, as the Republicans do, 
we still lose the vote, even though we have the majority vote in our pocket, then you know what, Mr. Obama? You deserve to ruin the country. You deserve to put your final death stamp on the country. If we own the House and the Senate and we let some anti-constitutional, communist, anti-American bastard through both House and Senate Judiciary Committees, even though we have majority votes in both, and then we have majority votes on the House and the Senate floor, and you win those two, you know what? You deserve to kill the United States of America. That's our answer to the president, because that's our answer before our maker. Who follows the Constitution? They or we? Bud, from the great state of Texas, thank you for your patience. Thank you for taking my call, Jay. Pleasure, sir. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, one thing. Being a being a bird hunter, if uh, Justice Scalia, his last day was filled with a good hunt behind good dogs, it's a good way to go out. So you know, he, uh, I think that's a great that's a great thought. He he is said not to have uh, <clears throat> pulled the trigger much on Saturday, but he he rode, you know, and and he was with the party, and he was on the land, and he was part of a of a party, a hunting party, and he loved that, and yeah. he was doing something he loved. I. I agree with you. What a blessing. Yeah, it was. There's just a couple of, and there was a couple of things I wanted to mention. Um, Back when, um, back when Reagan was in office in 87, uh, Lewis Powell uh, resigned from the court without giving Reagan any prior notification uh, in June of that year, in June of 87. Mm -hmm. And in November of 87 that was when uh president reagan nominated bork and um uh, actually nominated bork bork was turned down nominated daniel ginsburg Ginsburg by the way before we just brush over bork uh i realize now that there are people who weren't really paying attention then or since or now but the 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 moment at which, the fulcrum moment, the shameful, shameful assault on the Constitution moment when the appointment of United States Supreme Court justices became subject to the filth of political attack ads and the mind of Teddy Kennedy as a political campaign was when Teddy Kennedy turned it into same during the Bork hearings. The Bork hearings were the greatest constitutional injustice of my lifetime and one of the two or three greatest constitutional injustices ever to have occurred in the United States of America. Yeah, I and you know what, Jay, I wasn't paying as close attention to it then, obviously, is, is because you were involved with it, but... Um, but it was it was still I remember it being uh, a you know I remember it being a big deal. Um, yes. But the but the the big thing was was um, Reagan nominated Bork and and then nominated Ginsburg, 
and then ultimately ended up nominating Justice Kennedy, who sits on the court now. And and so he ended up ultimately having to go through three, and it was actually 17 months that period of time where there was an open seat on the court. Right. So well, that's, of course, <clears throat> but what's on our side? Due yeah. deliberation, as called for by the Constitution, is on our side. Yeah, Obama can rush as much as he wants to name someone. However, we ought not be rushed in our deliberations of that person. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that, but the uh, stupidest thing you could say politically is, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, he's not getting to, uh-uh, he's not getting to make that pick. We're going to wait for the next president. Could, could, did, did the Republicans learn nothing did they did they did they did they not learn how to read a poll? Do they not know what damage they have been caused by rushing to a microphone to say shut down the government? I'm not saying don't shut down the government. Shut the bastard down as far as I'm concerned. But there are other ways to say that. There are other ways to do that. How stupid can they be than to stand up and say no, Obama's not getting this pick. No, no, he's not getting it. Oh yeah, why? There's no answer. They have no answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I agree but with you. But I have I to break. I thank you for the call. Please call back soon. Right back. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show. This is the Blaze Radio Network, and these are my partners. one 3393 and our senior partner, Maya, has returned. Thank you. Sorry for the inconvenience before. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I do enjoy hearing what you have to say. It helps me to work through some of the insanity. So uh, never worry about that. Um, I agree Thank with you. you. I don't understand what the hell McConnell was thinking. I, I don't get it. I think that's the biggest reason why the Democrats get away with as much as they do, because they have the unwritten law that says no one says anything but the standard line. Right. You know, um, they have discipline. Work- they have party political mm-hmm. discipline. Absolutely. Um, I used to work uh, with the Red Cross for a number of years, and part of that required training. Part of that training involved knowing what to say when anyone came up to you and asked you about the Red Cross. There was a paragraph that basically stated the Red Cross is a nonprofit organization, blah, 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 blah. You're not allowed to say anything else. You refer anyone, newspaper, whoever, to the main office. That's right. That's right. Now, why is this not? It's ego. It is. It's Pure, the, total it's, arrogance. It's the ego of decaying white men in positions of tenuous power. Why would you ever blurt out, oh, no, we're going to 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, yeah. I, 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 I'm not, I don't want to get in trouble, but I, I wish I could say it the way it came mm-hmm. through my ears. Like McConnell saying it, it was almost like a line from Gone with the Wind expressed <laughs> by one of the foremen, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, yes. You know I what do. I mean? Yes, I do. And this, that's this, the part this, boy, this boy ain't getting nothing. Mm-hmm. This boy's getting the whip. <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, and, and why, why? Why, given who you are and what your public relations problems persist in being, mm-hmm. and given the notion that you are aware of, you're sufficiently self-aware to know them and ever want to fix them, and, and, and okay, throw all of that out the window. If you just want to do the right thing, if you really are who you claim to be, the defender of the Constitution, the only answer is send him up, Mr. President. Absolutely. Don't even say that. Okay. You have all the the rights. Respecting respect the time we have right now. And let's, you know, respect Scolia while everyone is bouncing. Don't say a word. No, what I meant by that, you're right. For right now, don't say anything. But when you say it, say we welcome President Obama's recommendation. And do it with a smile. Yes. It costs you nothing. Nothing, because tact is always, always will be knowing how to tell someone to go to hell in such a way <laughs> that they anticipate that trip. That they enjoyed it. <laughs> yes, it. Okay? I mean, is that too much to ask, white guy? No, it's, exa- it's, it's exactly right. He's got every option, you know, he ever had, which presumably is the, is the, is the upper hand. But mm-hmm. he doesn't need to, you don't need, ever need to say that. You never say that. You just say, Mr. President, at, a, at an appropriate time, we welcome, of course, we welcome your constitutional prerogative. We, we welcome your recommendation. And then and behind the scenes, you close the doors and say, mm-hmm. I will personally stab in the eyes with an ice pick anybody Absolutely. who votes for this Obama nominee. And you don't know, forget that guy is going to that man or woman is going to get chopped to bits like he was in a Benny Hanna entree in this room <laughs> before he or she goes anywhere. But you don't say it, you know, to uh, CNN. Well, what's also interesting is that if you sit there, I mean, because I go to YouTube for watching certain things, I know better than to just give an out and out endorsement. But this past weekend, I was listening to a lot of Milton Freeman and, and, and Buckley. Okay. Because there's this thing on Netflix, uh, called, um, well, it's the, 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 uh, the, the conversations between Buckley and Gore, uh, Vidal. Oh, Gore Vidal. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I was loving this because you're watch. I'm watching this, which automatically, you know, you realize just how stupid, oh, sorry, how uninformed and, and, and ill-prepared liberals are. And in every case, they would go up against these really smart guys, William F. Buckley, hello. Buckley did not <laughs> attack. He laid out the premise, and then yes. he let Alinsky talk for about 10 minutes. And then Buckley turned around and said, and this is why your argument is wrong. Right. There's there's class in that. <laughs> then he pulled then he pulled the trap shut. Yeah. That's it. He would say something snarky like, and if you'll wait, I'll get you the book or the article after the show. 
<laughs> and this particular video I watched, Alinsky was like, well, uh, thank you. Okay, this is how you Mr. talk uh, to liberals. Mr. Uh, uh. Uh, <laughs> I would point out to you, uh, my uh, hero. I grew up watching that. That was Channel 13 in New York City, PBS. That was every Saturday, early Saturday evening was firing line. It probably played 100 times during the week, but that's when we watched it. And I, I don't it you know, it's, I don't know how you replace or how grateful I am for having, <clears throat> pardon me, grown up on that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I watched, I got to know who these people were from Phil Donahue, and I'm not giving Phil props. I'm saying that Please. because I want you to know that if you want to catch how stupid and how dumb Phil Donahue really is, go watch him talking to Milt Freeman. That's hilarious. Everything well, Phil says <clears throat> is wrong. <laughs> Maya, I am. You need no reminding. Uh, I am no William F. Buckley. However, I do. No, not however, period. Yes. However, <laughs> I do have the joy of having appeared not once, but several times against uh, a number of uh, liberal icons in debate on national television. And Donahue was one of them. Oh, and no. uh, I think it was on him who I first used to close out when I knew I had the timing right and mine was the last word because I used it about 15 years later, but I think I first used on him. I now know I mean, this has been, uh, I said, this has been a nearly a biblical experience. And, and he laughed and, and took it as a compliment and said, Oh, well, you know, uh, you know, whatever. And I said, yes, I now know what it's like to be smitten by the jawbone of an ass. There you go. And I, I'm not. Yeah, I just and, and and but 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 for Bill Buckley, his brother, Jim, by the way, former United States senator uh, <clears throat> uh, who I who I knew and uh, a joy of corresponding with both. I, uh, you know, would never that stuff would never occur to me. It turned out to be the coin of my realm. Maya, thank you for your patience and your contribution. I am um, uh, very troubled by the loss of Justice Scalia. And on top of it, I didn't expect to be troubled by the behavior of the uh, party with whom I am uh, involuntarily associated. This is makes me surer I'm not a Republican when I hear stupid Republicans. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. America's number one constitutional lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, uh, a teacher, a genius, an old friend, agreed to appear the evening of Justice Scalia's death with Skip and Doc and I on our Saturday Night Blaze special. I thought you might like to hear some of it if you didn't first time around. We welcome Alan Dershowitz, who to this audience... I am sure, requires no introduction. Alan Dershowitz is the, is America's, our Constitution's preeminent scholar 
on the Constitution and on criminal law. Uh, having spent most of his career thus far in Chapter 1 at uh, Harvard Law School, where he's the youngest tenured professor ever. Uh, and you know him from so many important cases which have made up the mosaic of American legal and cultural life. Pornography cases from Deep Throat, the Klaus von Bülow case, uh, the O.J. Simpson case, many, many, too many to mention, other than to say when some people pass, other people weep. I was a little too young or disinterested somehow that when John Kennedy passed or Bobby Kennedy passed or others, I, I was struck, I was sobered, but I, I did not weep because that's natural and instinctive and immediate. When I learned this evening that Justice Scalia had passed, I wept openly and immediately. I should feel exactly the same in that day somewhere very far off if Alan Dershowitz, if I say Alan Dershowitz passes, because he represents the same kind of cultural, legal milestone that even amateurs have been informed by their whole lives. My friend, my dear friend, Alan Dershowitz, welcome back to the Blaze Radio Network. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your kind words. You can be very sure that I, too, will pass, as we all will. That's the nature of life, as Kafka, Kafka I said. I don't know about The meaning you. of life I... is that we die. It's always hard to imagine a world without you, but we have to. Look, I've known Justice Scalia for so many years. I actually knew his father. Uh, his father was a professor at Brooklyn College in the 1950s when I was a student, and I first met Justice Scalia when he was a law professor. And uh, we've been um, friends. Um, we've disagreed about a great many things, but I have enormous respect for him. One day, <clears throat> when I was teaching at Harvard Law School, uh, I came back from my class, and the phone rang. And the guy on the other end said, hi, this is Nino. And, you know, I wasn't used to calling him Nino. Uh, I said, Nino? He said, yeah, Justice Scalia. He said, I accept. I said, accept what? He said, oh, you don't know your students have challenged you to debate me on interpretation of the Constitution in front of your first-year criminal law class. I said, great, come on. And he came up, and the first thing he said is, I'm not a justice today. I'm just another lawyer. And the students, you're all equal to me, and the professor is all equal. We're going to have a great debate, and whoever has the best ideas will win. And we went at it for two hours, and he wasn't Justice Scalia. He was just a guy with some very conservative ideas, and um, we had a terrific, terrific debate. And we've continued that literally until just months ago. Uh, we were in Israel together. We debated Bush versus Gore. At Harvard, we debated Bush versus Gore. Recently, I was in the Supreme Court, and he was um, involved with a group of students from Columbia, and I got invited to participate. We debated separation of church and state. Um, you know, he was just a feisty guy, funny, um, smart, loved to engage, loved to test his ideas. Um, he, he, and, and forgive um, me, like like yeah. you are known, uh, though fiercely partisan, known as fiercely collegial, if that can be yeah, well, read. I think that's right. And he, he he complimented me very much recently when I was with him. He said, you know, Alan, a lot of people can say things about us. The one thing that nobody could ever say about either of us is that we're boring. He said, we're not boring. 
And, boy, he was not <laughs> boring. We fought like children about Bush versus Gore. And he finally wrote me a long letter about it. And at the end of it, he said, look, Alan, someday, before both of us become senile, I'm going to sit down with you, and I'm going to persuade you that I did the right thing. Well, I thought about that today, because that day will never come. We will not have that conversation. But we had many conversations about Bush versus Gore, about so many, so many things. And I'll miss him. I'll miss his conversations. I'll miss his arguments. I'll miss reading his opinions. I'll miss writing him notes about his opinions and him responding. He always responded. Uh, and uh, he was a very, very good communicator. Professor, he reminds me, and, I, and, and my, I don't have the ability to capture and articulate in sports, which I know you love, there were yep. figures that drew people into the sport, even they, though they knew nothing of it or little of it or cared less, yeah, but sure. they were drawn to it because of that exceptional talent. And mm -hmm. Scalia was, Justice Scalia was one of those people, and again, I, everyone forgive me, much like yourself, Professor, and you already know I feel this way, so no reason to blush, uh, you know, who drew people to the law, not to laws, mm -hmm. but to the law, no, because I agree with that. of, you know, mm -hmm. the ability to give it flesh and dimension. Um, and it's for that I ask you this, bringing us up to this evening, Professor, is it, do you regard it as irony or inevitable? or both, that the passing of Justice Scalia proved to have immediate political, profound political impact, i.e., as of this debate this evening? Yeah, no, I think he would have been the first to understand that. He understood that a Supreme Court justice, although his or her job is to interpret the Constitution, that it's a political institution. We have a system of a tripartite government of equal weight. The only country in the world where the judiciary is equal to the president, equal to the legislative branch, he understood that. You know, there was a moment in time when Justice Scalia actually thought about running for president. Not too many people know that. But he thought seriously, and he spoke to friends about it, about throwing his hat into the ring and getting into politics, because he understood that to implement the kinds of policies that he strongly believed in, uh, conservative policies, religious policies, he was a deeply, deeply religious Catholic. In fact, one of the strongest uh, arguments we ever had is I challenged him once on his Catholicism. Boy, that takes chutzpah, you know, for a Jew to challenge a, a, a graduate of Georgetown University and, and Xavier on his Catholicism. I said that his views on capital punishment, where he said that it would not be unconstitutional to execute an innocent person if the innocent person had had a fair trial. And I said... Thomas Aquinas would never have supported that. The Vatican would never have supported that. And we had a great debate and a great conversation about Catholic theology, Jewish theology, Protestant theology, capital punishment, the Constitution. I mean, he loved interpreting words. We had conversations about how you interpret music, how you interpret opera, compared to how you interpret the Constitution. He was a man who was very eclectic. He loved opera. I saw him at the opera. Um, many, many times. Most recent time I think I saw him was at the Richard Tucker um, Opera uh, concert in New York. Um, he loved opera. Ruth Bader Ginsburg used to go with him to the opera. I didn't go with him to the opera, but I'd see him there. We would, we would schmooze and we would talk. We always enjoyed talking to each other. We talked a lot about his father 
who was a very interesting character. He was, you know, an Italian immigrant, came to the United States, became chairman of the Department of, of Romance Languages at Brooklyn College, very conservative, uh, very controversial as a professor, and he loved his father. He was an only child. He made up for that by having eight children of his own, or nine, eight or nine, I can't remember, maybe nine. Uh, and, uh, and um, you know, he, as he said, uh, it was God's will for him to have so many children. He played what he called Vatican Roulette, and that is, obviously, he was saying he didn't use birth control, and when God wanted him to have a child, that's when he would have a child. You know, he's an amazing guy. He was so interesting. Everything you discussed with him was interesting. All right, that's part one of uh, our interview, Skip and Doc and I, with Alan Dershowitz, uh, Harvard professor emeritus and good friend of Justice Scalia's. That's part one. Uh, Part two uh, is just a little smidge too long and uh, also don't want to uh, inundate you with it. So uh, Brittany is kind enough to put uh, parts one and two on on SoundCloud, on the podcast. So uh, good opportunity to tell you, too, that I'm that I'm there. And if you care about part two and uh, Professor Dershowitz is every bit as charming, informative, iconoclastic there than he was in part one. Hope you'll give it a listen. I'll be here live right back. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, partners. Now, I have indulged myself, I hope not at the cost of your interest, in the affirmative things I have been thinking and I wanted to share with you since hearing of the death of Justice Scalia and observing what that is going to mean in terms of this epic, epic constitutional battle. So from now on, I will be responding. I don't have any more agenda. I have no more monologue. We'll see what happens. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen fast and and furious. One thing I didn't mention. One thing you have already heard, Democrats, and soon you will hear rhinos echoing, and about which you will then hear a lot more and a lot more and a lot more is a mythological creature called a compromise candidate, a consensus candidate. I beg you, recognize now and forever that no such creature exists. You are hearing the mythology of the compromise candidate. It's a unicorn it's a jurisprudential, jurispolitical unicorn. It has never existed. It is only something which Democrats conjure in the minds of Republican legislators and Republican voters in order to get them to vote for someone who is a liberal in moderate, moderately conservative clothing. 
No liberal president that I can think of has been has ended up disappointed with his appointments to the bench. In the last 100 years, only Republican presidents, only conservatives have been mortified, ashamed and disappointed it went when they were. Only they have been mortified by their picks. Only do so, uh, conservatives, somehow people who are conservative, turn out to be screaming, flaming liberals once they hit the federal bench. Caveat emptor. Please, as we go through this process, know if it comes up, your own deliberations, your own conversations, there is no such thing as a unicorn There is no such thing as a consensus or compromise candidate for the United States Supreme Court because that candidate believes in abortion, including babies being born and having their brains sucked out while they're alive, after they're born. They believe in that with your money or they don't. The right to own and bear arms. They believe in it or they don't. Free speech, talk radio, the web, free speech, the First Amendment. They are absolutists in it. They support it or they don't. Jobs, places in school, places in life, based on the color of your skin rather than merit. They believe in that. Or they don't. The ability to snatch your children out of the neighborhood in which they grew up, which you picked, which you broke your butt to own a home or rent a home or wherever you live, however you live, and to put them on a bus and bus them an hour and a half each way to an inner city school where the danger level the, is, is sky high, the achievement level is non-existent, and the total experience negates everything you worked for as parents. The right to snatch your children and do that with them, otherwise known as school busing, they're either for it or they're against it. There is no such thing as being a little bit pregnant. There is no such thing as being a little bit pregnant. There is no such thing as a consensus candidate. Chuck Schumer and Lindsey Graham will vote for the same judge. Uh, uh, McConnell and McCain may vote for the same judge, but Mike Lee and Ted Cruz won't vote for that judge. I mean, if you believe in the Constitution of the United States and certain precepts thereof, such as I've just Uh, randomly outlined you believe in one kind of judge who believes in you and believes in that and believes in the constitution otherwise you vote for the guy who they say believes in rainbows and unicorns and essentially taking your power from you please believe me the myth of the consensus candidate don't believe it Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.